0: 32 years is a long time ago. The 1988 Los Angeles Dodgers, led by Oral Hershiser, underdogged their way to the World Series championship, beating the heavily favored Oakland A's. High fly ball into right field. She is gone! In a year that has been so improbable, the impossible has happened. And they haven't won a title since. Oh, they've been close, even made it to the World Series two of the last three years, but have come up short each time. Is it World Series or bust? I'm Dan Schulman, and this is a Swing and a Belt.
1: bets it's a high fly ball to left center field. Back goes Padari. He's out of room and another home run. Five tonight for the Dodgers, who have thrown a late part here to steal things from Colorado.
0: Joe Davis is the television voice of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Now in his fourth full season on the job, Joe works with the hero of 1988, Oral Hershiser, calling games for one of the iconic franchises in the sport and a team that's looking to get over the hump and bring a title back to L.A. Joe, how are you doing these days?
1: Doing all right, Dan. It's great to talk to you.
0: Yeah, you as well. We usually see each other a little bit in October. We saw each other last year when the Blue Jays played the Dodgers, but nothing this year, obviously. Uh, Give me a quick, this is a behind-the-curtain question, but I ask everybody who's a broadcaster this question. What's your broadcast setup like? How's it been going for you this year?
1: Yeah, yeah. any year before 2020, you'd ask that, and you'd be like, a couple monitors in the booth, like, what's yours? Yeah, But yeah, totally. Uh, So 2020, man, we're doing every game out of the Dodger Stadium booth, home and road. So, you know, the, the road games we've just got, basically I, I have my program monitor and then we have an all nine wide one that sits up on top of our program monitors. I don't know about for you, but for me, the guys are almost too small on there to get anything from it. So I'm pretty much just calling those games exclusively off of what everybody at home is seeing.
0: Yeah, the all nine for people who don't know is like a camera high above home plate that shows where all the nine defenders are. So I'm with you. I use it to see if the shift is on. Right. I use it actually to see if a runner's going, if he's trying to steal a base, because that's a play that tricked me up a few times at mm-hmm. the beginning of the year. And you can see if the outfield's playing around of the opposite field or pull. But it's interesting the things we've had to get used to. Let me ask you this. I started calling Blue Jays games when I was 28 years old you started calling Dodger games at about the same age, maybe exactly the same age. Do you ever pinch yourself? I mean, you're only 32 now. You're not a you know an, an old dude like me. But do you ever pinch yourself and say, man, what an opportunity. This is pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I do it all the time. I still do it all the time. And the game I always think about is my first opening day at Dodger Stadium. Looking out over, you've been there many times, looking out over 56,000 people and The san gabriel mountains and thinking about the booth that i was in and who had come before me in that booth it was almost overwhelming to the point where i was like gosh i hope i can get it together by the time we come on the air here in a few minutes but those moments still happen and the view that we have looking out of that booth is is a constant reminder of how special it is and how lucky i am it's not the same without vin here we recognize that he was is always will be the dodgers Nobody's ever going to replace Vin Scully. I know I'm certainly not ever going to replace Vin Scully, but we can promise you, and I know I speak for you and for Alana and our entire production crew, we're here to work as hard as we can to be the very best that we can for the fans that really deserve it. We look at this as a, as a great responsibility to cover Dodger baseball for you. Did Thank
0: Vin you. ever give you uh, like some words of advice at any point as it was transitioning from him to you?
1: Yeah, the big thing that he passed along to me, and and I know you've gotten to know him a little bit through the years too, and he he doesn't think of himself as this wise legend who has advice to give, so you kind of have to pry it out of him. But what I was able to get out of him was the same thing that Red Barber told him when he took over in 1950. That's another pinch-yourself thing, right, that he (laughs) passed on Red Barber advice, and that is simply – be yourself don't try to be anybody that you're not don't try to be Vin Scully you know he didn't say it that way but I think that was an important thing for me to think about as I went into the job obviously you're gonna take things from Vin who's the greatest ever to do it and you're gonna you're gonna try to apply them to yourself but I think it would be human nature to try and chase what had made him so special for so long but you just can't like he he was doing what he did perfectly, and only he could do it the way he did it. So to to keep that in my mind and, and just kind of allow myself to be myself as I got into the job, and I constantly think of that advice from Vin.
0: That's very cool. Uh, as you know, chemistry with your broadcast partner is so important. You're working with a guy that I worked with for a number of years back in the day at ESPN right after he retired. Is Oral still as good of a guy to work with as he was back then? <sighs>
1: just the greatest yeah. he is I tell people there are two reasons that it's gone okay for me here and they haven't run me out of town yet number one is the team wins a hundred games a year <laughs> and I'm given good news if they had lost 100 games a year I don't know if it'd be going as well and the other thing is oral and he's just he is uh outside of my parents and my wife the most significant person in my lifetime mm-hmm. wow and why is that He just, from day one, he's the most conscientious, giving, caring person you're ever going to meet. And from day one, he put his arm around me and just kind of made me like his son or his his nephew or his brother, however you want to put it. But in the same his wife to my wife right away moving across the country from Michigan to California and hoping that the job would go well and hoping that the move would go well, but not knowing for sure, Mm -hmm. he almost took it in his own hands and said, I'm going to make sure that this goes well. And I feel that from him every day.
0: Yeah, that's very cool. He is that good of a guy.
1: Got him! They've done it. A fastball, nine strikeouts for Hirschheiser. He gives up a total of four hits, and look at the bob.
0: All right, let's talk Dodgers, and I don't feel the need to dwell on this part of it, and I'm sure you don't either, but given you know what we know now about the Astros, et cetera, do you feel the Dodgers have been playing with a bit of a chip on their shoulder this year, You know, even more than, hey, we're really good and we want to win the World Series, is there a little added chip on their shoulder because of that this season?
1: Had you asked me that in March, going into a normal season, I think that the answer would have been more yes than it is... At this point, I just think with the the few-month layoff that a lot of that, like it did across baseball, a lot of the animosity towards the Astros dissipated some, and the mm-hmm. focus became more on this group, this run for a championship. It picked up a little bit with what happened in Houston, and the Dodgers obviously playing Houston this year. That, I think, opened up some of the old wounds, but I think it's more just been about this team feels like it's really good, and the guys that have been on all these championship teams – Say emphatically that this is the best one of the bunch and they don't want to see this opportunity go to waste, regardless of anything that's happened, uh, you know, 2017 or any of the stuff that came out this past season.
0: It was such a good team the last few years, and now Mookie Betts is there. And, you know, he is inarguably one of the two or three best players in the sport. How much has Mookie meant to the Dodgers this season?
1: He's so good. And you got to see him being in Toronto with, with you know, playing Boston 19 times a year. But, I knew that he was good from covering the Red Sox nationally and watching from afar, but to really appreciate him is to see him every day. And a lot of times you say that about guys that are like the, you know, the utility guys and the scrappy second baseman, you got to see him every day to truly appreciate how good they are. But he's a superstar who I think you can say that about because every single night it's like he brings a new elite skill to the table. One night he may make a diving catch. The next night he may hit a 450-foot home run. The next night he may score from second on a on a wild throw, a wild pickoff throw. It's just every single night. And this is a really good team, but he gives off the sense through 50-some games now that he's in a league of his own, even on a team that has as much talent as this one.
0: Do the other guys – welcome him with open arms in terms of, hey, if he's going to be our best player, we're okay with that. Like, Cody Bellinger won the MVP last year, but has it felt like a seamless addition to the chemistry of the team?
1: Yeah, it really has. And right away, back to spring training, it seemed like that. And Mookie actually, who didn't have much of a reputation of being outspoken or much of a leader beyond just the example that he sets in Boston— He actually spoke up on the first day of full squad workouts, and not a lot of details come out about exactly what the talk was, but it was kind of a tone-setting talk to the entire group. This is how, you know, I've won a world championship, and this is how you do it, and I'm going to be a leader kind of thing, and I think from that moment forward, it was not just an admiration for how good he is and an acceptance of him into the clubhouse, but kind of an admiration for the person and for the leader and very quickly you can see him already in the dugout and and, you know you can you can watch and and see on the monitor kind of who the alpha is in the dugout he's already that guy lifts a fly ball to left center field back towards the wall it is gone! Mookie
0: Tell me about the seasons Cody Bellinger and Max Muncie are having. One is a great player, one is a really good player. Neither one is having his typical year. And we're seeing that a lot around baseball. It's a short season, it's a weird season. A lot of crazy stuff is happening. Um, is there concern about them, or is the attitude, hey, look how good the team is, even without those guys being themselves? So come October, you know, it could be even better.
1: I think it's a little bit of both. I think that it's, wow, they're scoring six runs a game, and they haven't really had either of those two guys. But I think there's a good amount of concern. I would say up until the last few days, significantly less concern about Max Muncy because you still draw on walks. You still sprinkle in the home runs. Very modern edition of a hitter You know, with the, the strikeout totals, but home runs and walks as well. So the OPS is still above league average, even though the average is below 200. But he's just not looked great the last few days. Bellinger started to look better. But Bellinger, during the quarantine, started to change everything in his stance. And he shows up at summer camp, and everybody's watching like, what in the world is this? He's completely closed off. You can like read the entire name on his back. And and this Mm -hmm. is back at summer camp. He's unwound from it some. But almost like he got bored and overhauled stuff. And it's like, dude, you just won the MVP. You just had an 1100 OPS. What are you doing? And he spent pretty much the entire season to this point unwinding what he had done during the quarantine. And that's a hard thing to do, to try and change your stance and change your swing in the middle of a major league season, especially when you get off to a slow start in a short season where you see those numbers ugly. And you also see the you know, the freight train coming through the tunnel at the end of the season coming so quickly. So he's been a significant concern. It's been better the last few days. He had a good series at Coors Field, like a lot of guys tend to do. And they're hoping that he can come out of it. Because that, I don't think that they win a world championship if Bellinger and Muncie aren't at least good. They don't yeah. think they need to be great with the roster they have, but neither one of them have been good thus far.
0: Hmm. Let's talk pitching. And I've been lucky enough through my years with ESPN to do a lot of Clayton Kershaw games and and saw him in his best seven or eight years when he's been about as good as anybody who's ever lived and saw him with somewhat diminished stuff at times over the last couple of years. I haven't had a chance to watch a ton of them this year because a lot of times you guys are playing while the Blue Jays are playing. By the time I get home, it's the sixth or seventh inning of your game and maybe something else is going on. But what I've seen of Kershaw this year has been better than what I think I saw the last couple of years. Not necessarily just velocity, although it looks like it's ticked up a little bit, but everything's a little sharper. The command is a little better. Has he been that good as the numbers suggest he's been this year?
1: Curveball has Seager looking bad, and it's one and two. 2-2. Two. Curve lands for strike three. What a night from Clayton Kershaw. Nine strikeouts. Yeah, danny has been awesome, and I think it it does start with the velocity being up. It was 90 and a half. It's up to 92 pretty consistently, and the arm speed that he's gathered from the work that he did this offseason, part of that was going to drive line, but there's a lot of other stuff that went into it. It's helped everything else, too. His slider's better. His curveball's really good again. I think opponents are hitting like 150 against it. And the way that he's sequencing and using all the different quadrants of the plate and Oral talks about him using his armside fastball to righties and opening up an entirely new lane because for so long he was – You know, Here comes the fastball and then pound in, in, in with the slider, which is, he calls it a slider, but it's shaped pretty much like a cutter that can dip a little bit too. When he commands the outside part of the plate and it's that whole other lane the right-handed hitter has to have in his mind, he's really, really good. And he's also throwing the fastball up more the last couple seasons. He started to do that last year, but it was only 90. Now it's 92, 93. We've seen 94 out of him. And he's again, you combine the the raw stuff being back, at least some, with the warrior that is Clayton Kershaw, with the attitude that Clayton Kershaw pitches with, that's all still there. And it's been exceptional.
0: There's a guy on the staff, and you're going to know who I'm talking about in about three seconds, even before I say his name, who may not be a household name yet around baseball. But if the Dodgers win the World Series, he's going to be. Because if there's one guy that I want to get home after a Blue Jays game, turn on the TV and watch pitch right now, it's Dustin May. Hmm. That 99-mile-an-hour two-seamer that moves like a foot and a half with the leg kick and the the extension and the red hair flying all over the place. I mean, there's nothing like it in baseball. And his stuff is absolutely electric. How much fun has it been watching him
1: this year? Hey, to Grisham, 2-2. Got him with a cutter, two out. Cutter because it's moving right to left and late and small. And you see that little bit of late movement. Almost impossible for the hitter to pick up. Yeah, you're right. It's the total package of must watch with the red hair flying and, you know, him being 6'6 and long and a very distinct delivery. And it's really fun to watch. You know what's interesting, Dan, is he's not striking many people out. Even with that incredible stuff. Take a look at the strikeout numbers. Not great, which is interesting because they're still, I think they think for sure, Kershaw and Bueller are going to be two of the starters, and this is in a shorter series. They're unsure beyond that. I think you could see Dustin May in relief, but at the same time, you know, you want to be missing bats in relief, and he's not, even with that incredible raw stuff, he's not missed as many bats as you'd think. You know who's been more impressive is Tony Gonsolin struck out the first six batters of the game. He had 10 Ks in five innings. He has a true four-pitch mix right now, whereas May, you know, he teeters between two and three pitches that he's using at a given time. So as impressive as Dustin May has been, I wouldn't be surprised if Tony Gonsolin makes more of an impact in a deep October run.
0: Interesting. So every year in October, the Dodgers typically do move one of their starters into the bullpen. We saw Kenta Maeda do it with a lot of success for a couple of years. The Dodgers always seem to have a moment. It could be an eighth-inning moment. Can they get to Jansen? You know, the moments where Kershaw's come in in the past at times. They also could have a ninth-inning moment. And Kenley Jansen is clearly not the Kenley Jansen that he was a few years ago. This is a great team with a ton of good arms on the staff. But how should the Dodgers feel about the eighth-inning and the ninth-inning in October this year?
1: Well, if Kenley Jansen is the ninth-inning, I think right now you don't feel great – there have been flashes of him looking like Kenley Jansen, but enough there where it's hard to completely trust it. So I don't think you feel great about the ninth inning right now. I think seventh and eighth inning and the high leverage spots leading up to it, you feel good about it just simply because there are a ton of options and you hope you pick the right ones and you find a couple of those guys that are going to give you some hot stretches that pitch well at the right time. I mean, the list is really long of potential high leverage options. Joe Kelly coming off of the injured list and suspension list. Blake Trinan's been really good all year. Victor Gonzalez, a left-handed rookie, has come out of the middle of nowhere and turned into one of their most trusted options. Dylan Floro has been great. I mean, like you can go down the list, and I'm I'm missing people. Bruce starr a rookie who throws 102. There are a lot (laughs) of options. Pedro Baez, uh, who's been a high leverage guy in the past. A lot of options. And the other thing is, I think that any team that makes a deep run, just because of the schedule, you're going to need more than one closer. There's no way Kenley Jansen is pitching in a seven-game series. I just I don't seven-game series with seven games in seven days. I don't see him pitching in every game where he would pitch on a normal schedule. So I think you may need a second closer and a second super high leverage guy and and thankfully for the Dodgers they have a lot of options to be able to cover multiple spots over a condensed schedule like that.
0: The Dodgers have the best record in the league the Padres have the second best record in the league but because of the way the playoff format is it's likely the Dodgers will be the one and the Padres will be the four which as you well know means they'll play in the division series not the NLCS. What were the games like with the Padres this year what do you think a playoff series with the Padres would be like?
1: Oh man they were intense and I think it would be the same in the postseason that's a team that really believes that it's good and they should because they are. In the air to deep right field for Grisham it's gone and the Padres
0: tie it one-to-one one swing of the battle get it done. Home run number nine of the year for Grisham has tied this game off Clayton Kershaw.
1: Oh we got some chirping going on. They, they do all that at the deadline and bring in a few more pieces and I think that what, what is sneaky good is the pitching. Denelson Lamette has been Cy Young caliber. Mike Clevenger, we know about Mike Clevenger. You add him to the rotation. Zach Davies, quietly, has been top 10 pitcher in the National League. So I think the pitching, quietly, is really good. And the offense, the numbers tell you, is really good, and it is. So especially in a short series, five-game series, division series, like it looks like it would be for Dodgers and Padres, that's a scary one. Mm-hmm
0: it should be a lot of fun. And and the Dodgers, I mean again, they've been so close the last couple of times. Last question from the fan base's perspective. Is it World Series or bust in their eyes this year?
1: I guess, but I think you could say that the last few years too. Yeah. You know, it's been so long now and the team's been so good for so long where I think that you've been saying that and what is bust Mm -hmm. you know like I, I don't think you fire Dave Roberts if they don't win it you don't fire Andrew Friedman if they don't win it so I think it's the same it has been the last few years which is they think they're the best team in the National League this year I think you could say they probably think they're the best team in baseball and they should win it but the other thing with the Dodgers is I don't see a window closing necessarily if they happen to not win it this year. And that's kind of the remarkable thing about it is that they're looking at an eighth consecutive division title. They get to the World Series a third pennant in four years. And even though Kershaw is getting near the end of his contract, even though Justin Turner's at the end of his, I don't think that they suddenly fall out of contention anytime Mm -hmm. soon just with the way they've churned guys through the system. Yeah,
0: as you mentioned, May, Gonsolin, they just got Gratterall, (laughs) Gavin Lux will figure it out, Will Smith, they got a great young core of players, too. Uh, It must be a lot of fun to go to a a ballpark like that and call games for a team like that every day. I know you'll be busy in October with Fox, maybe Dodgers, maybe not, depends how the schedule works out. But enjoy the month, look forward to watching you work, and uh, we'll talk to you again. Have a fun October.
1: All right, Dan, thanks for having me, always good to talk to you.
0: Now, thanks again to Joe Davis, one of the most talented broadcasters around, only 32 years old, he calls the Dodgers, he works for Fox, he does football as well, he can do just about anything, and as you can hear, uh, he feels very fortunate to have the great situation that he does in Los Angeles. They are a great team, they are deep, they are versatile, they are motivated, they've got a ton of hard throwers on their team. And they do look like the favorite to at least get back to the World Series to come out of the National League. Is this the year they get over the hump? We'll find out in the next few weeks. Thanks for listening to this episode of A Swing and a Bell, produced by Christian Ryan.
1: Until next time, I'm Dan Schulman.